This week on Twip Weddings, we're going to let you peek inside our camera bags and provide our audience with some insight into the gear we use, why we use it, and what we use to transport it all in on the wedding day. Plus, we'll talk briefly about the death of Pictage. All this and more on Twip Weddings. And welcome back to another episode of Twip Weddings. Once again, my name is Bruce Clark, and I'm joined again by my regular co-host, Mr. Robert Evans. Mr. Capricci is MIA this week. He's on. He's taking a little break, a little vacation. He's been working hard. So it's just, just you and me today, Robert. He's not allowed to take a break. I know. What's he thinking? <laughs> vacation, vacation, vacation. vacation. Anyway, so this week, anyway, so this week, um, we're gonna we're gonna dig into our camera bags. So we're, t- we're all talking about uh, what's in our bags this week. So we're gonna dig into our camera bags and kind of share with you the gear that we carry, you know, how we <laughs> transport it, and and why we carry the things that we do. But uh, before we get into that. Uh, we want to remind you how you can participate in the show. And we've got several ways you can interact with us. Uh, first, you can visit the website at thisweekinphoto.com slash weddings. And there you'll find the show notes for each episode. And we'll put links to everything we talk about on the uh, on the show in there. Uh, you can also leave your comments and your feedback for us in the comment section. If you have a question or, or a suggestion for a topic you'd like to see on a future episode, you can also email us. Our email address is twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com. Or if you prefer to use the social media, just add the hashtag TwipWed to your post and we'll keep an eye out for your posts. And if you feel like kind of following along with us, uh, we're on Instagram. Uh, so you can follow us over at TwipWed and our photos can now be outside the box. They don't have to be square anymore. Robert, did Yay. you see that? Yay! We don't have to be no more square. <laughs> it was hip to be square. It's not anymore. Page. I'm sure you're going to say it, but there's a lot of activity going on the Facebook page. So there's a lot of activity, yeah. So we've got a brand new Facebook uh, group, but we've had it up for a little while. So it's facebook.com slash groups slash TwipWed, and we've got a lot of new people joining in the last little while. So uh, and there, people are starting to comment on there, and there's some activity is ramping up. So join our Facebook group and join us in there. Post your questions, share your work with us, give us your feedback on the show. We'd love to, love to have you join us over there. So... So with, uh, without further ado, let's jump into the show. But before we get into the, to the main topic about what's in our bags, I just want to briefly uh, chat with you, Robert, a little bit about um, the closing of, of Pictage. It's a little bit of a timely news story. It'll, it'll be a little bit old news by the time this goes um, live. But I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, last week, we're recording this here at the beginning of September. And uh, just last week, um, Pictage, uh, <coughs> it would be kind of closing its doors for, forever at the, at the end of September. So for those who maybe aren't familiar with Pictage, maybe Robert, do you want to tell a little bit? I, I was never a Pictage user, but I think you you used Pictage for a while. Do you want to maybe just tell people what Pictage was? Or I've kind of been around with Pictage really since the very beginning. I mean, they started back in the film days where they would even scan, you know, your images and put them up. And it was kind of the first way to do online sales. And um, they had some growing pains for a couple of years as they try to figure it out and their lab and you know just like anything you know like you know you got to solve a problem when the problem comes up and uh but they did a good job at that and um it was you know in my opinion a fairly well-oiled machine they did a good job at you know marketing your work to your clients because as you guys know people are procrastinators and it's hard to get them to order and pick their images for their albums and all that stuff and and but they ended up doing all that and marketing to your clients and making albums and prints and i really liked it just for the simple fact the only way i used it actually is i put all my jobs up there um and i used them as a way to sell individual prints to my clients and their friends 
um, it sort of took that part of it off my plate where I didn't have to do the fulfillment of, you know, Aunt Sally just wants a five by seven. And, you know, I did okay over the years, um, you know, before digital came along. I mean, I used to make a thousand, two thousand dollars a month. And then I would say as time went on, you know, that kind of dropped more between five hundred and a thousand dollars a month. But I didn't have to do that, you know, aspect of it. Like I make more money from my time and from my albums, and I still controlled all those things myself. Um, but I did use Pictage as a way to, like, hey, create a favorites folder and put your album picks in them, and then I would, you know, FTP those back down to myself because it was easier than sorting through, you know, okay, they wanted this one, and then I find that one, and you know, all that. And <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, they've been around, but they basically went through three different CEOs. Um, and the last one, I don't, I don't know anything about him. Um, so I'm not blaming him by any means. I think it's just a changing market and a changing time and all the change that happened over there. Like, you know, PicTouch started strong because they were the only solution. And then of course, now there's many other solutions <clears throat> to accomplish kind of the same thing. So I think it's just one of those things that, you know, it's hard, but it's, it's difficult. You know, I kind of saw the writing on the wall myself as, you know, several months back, they said, oh, well, we're not going to store your images anymore. So, you know, you have like a month to FTP all your old jobs down to yourself. Like if you use Pictage as like a cloud backup. Um, And so they allowed that and, you know, they're giving fair warning. I think it's, you know, they're going to close as of towards the end of September sometime. I I think it's the 22nd or 27th or something like that. Yeah. So by the time this episode goes out, they'll be, they'll be dead and gone. They won't be around anymore. What surprised me was the the fact that, um, you know, like when they announced that they were shutting down and sort of, Hey, like this is your chance to download to get your images. You know, people were in this panic mad rush to get their photos down off the site that they actually crashed the servers and the servers were down for a, a number of days. But what was more shocking to me was that like, that was for some people the only place they had their photos backed up. Right. And to me, I think that the takeaway there is you don't want to put all your eggs in, in one basket, particularly if that basket is, is some other service or some other cloud solution because. Oh yeah. And I think that's a good, you know, we just had done uh, a show with Gary Fong on backup and, and data. And <clears throat> I think it's just, again, it's a prime example of like, you know, those things that you think are solid and are there may not be there. So it's a good reason to back your stuff up to many different sources so that you can sort of, uh, you know, bounce back if something like that happens yeah absolutely yeah yeah i never used pictage myself um i kind of came along and pictage was you know it was one of those solutions that was out there but like you say since then there's been a lot more competition in in the in that space um one of the some of the feedback i got from people who were using pictage a few years ago is that they um they were like you say they were pretty effective at targeting your clients to encourage them to order prints but um some people had told me that they're a little too aggressive um, that, that it was actually resulting in clients getting a little ticked off because they were actually too aggressive in how, fre- you know, the frequency that they were contacting people and trying to get them to buy prints and these kinds of things. And it kind of actually rubbed some customers the wrong way. And I know a lot of photographers that, that didn't like that. And so they moved to another solution or looked to another solution. I think Pictage responded to some of that feedback and kind of adjusted, but I think it was maybe a little, little too little, right. too late kind of thing. So. I mean, I had heard that too. And I mean, that was always the case, but I, I sort of liked, I was, I think on the other side of that, where I like, I'd, I'd rather than be a little more aggressive than not as aggressive. Cause like I said, people procrastinate and you have to like, 
stay on top of like, you know, I have clients that basically, for those of you who don't know how PickTize work, you release the job, you can put a time frame on it, but the default is three months, you know, to get them to like choose their images for their albums, place orders, that type of thing, you know, while the iron's still hot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have clients that I have like, and as the photographer, you could re-release on the other side, you can give them more time, you can extend it. I've extended for people for like, 10 times, you know, like, oh, Robert, we still haven't done it. You know, their job would go dormant for a while and then they'd resurface. And could you release my job again? I mean, I've done that so many times for people. It's like, you know, it's just, you got to do it. But I like that they were, and I think it did help promote sales. So you're gonna, always going to have different opinions no matter what happens. But let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, what people can do or other solutions are like quickly. I know that's not what the show is about, but I mean, I've always used as well, kind of in conjunction with Pictage Smug Mug, which basically does the same thing, but they don't spam their clients or email clients. It's up to you to uh, do sales, but they have a a lab and and, uh, you can do sales online and you can have a cart and, um, you know, they're attached to a couple different labs, I I believe, photo as well as um white house custom color and i think another one um depending on who you want to use so you sort of are bound to use their labs but but that's what pictage was um i've heard tell me some of the solutions you've heard i know there's like other areas to do that yeah we use uh we use zenfolio so zenfolio is another solution we've been using them for uh, for quite a few years uh to host our to host our galleries and again same similar similar to Smugbug, you can connect them to uh to different labs like mpix pro or i think miller's or there's a few other labs uh, you can connect them to um uh, Pixie Set, I'm hearing, is another popular one these days. So a lot of photographers are using for distribution of digital files. Right. Um, Photo Shelter is another one. Um, obviously, Smug Mug, you mentioned. Um, 500px is, a, is an interesting solution. I don't know that they're doing a lot on the print and the fulfillment side of things, but definitely for hosting galleries and, and that type of thing, there's 500px. Yeah, I don't think you can do sales off there yet, but um, that site is like one of my favorite photography sites just to look at because there's some really beautiful photography up there. There's some great stuff on there. Yeah, we have uh, Evgeny is a frequent uh, guest on uh, This Week in Photo, and he's uh, one of the one of the co-owners of 500px. So he's a great uh, great resource. He's their uh, their Canadian company as well. Weren't they? Aren't those guys? Weren't they Russian though? He yes, I believe so. Yeah, they're based out of Toronto. Russian guys. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, yeah, really. Five hundred px is a really really good uh, good solution as well. So yeah, definitely lots of alternatives out there. I think the key takeaway though is you know don't have all your eggs in one basket. As Pictage, you know, is a perfect example. If 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 you rely on that as your only backup, then you know if it goes away, suddenly you're without you know any of your images. So. And again, another one, we've talked about this before, but have in your contracts, you guys, like have in your contracts a clause that says, this is what mine says, and you can do it however you want, but have in your contracts a clause that says, once you hand over the digital files to the client, even if you're not done doing their albums or whatever, because I basically say, you don't get your digital files until we're done doing albums and prints and that type of things. But occasionally I have someone kick their feet and they want them sooner. But I have a clause in my contract that says, well, as soon as I hand you the digital files or I give them to you, my studio is no longer liable for archive and storage of those files. Yep. So like, 
you know, cut yourself the liability right away. For something like that did happen, you had some sort of, of course, you're going to save them. If it comes down to a legal matter and your clients want to say, oh, their hard drives fail and you don't have my pictures anymore or whatever, or something like Pictage happened and that was your only place, then you're set. You, you can wipe your hands of it and you feel bad for your clients. I get it. It's not what I would want but at least they can't come after you. So have something in your contracts that says you're not liable for start storing their files for you know more than a year or two years or whatever it is that you want, or as soon as you give them to me, you're no longer liable. You look into that, you know, and but, but get those in your contract. Yeah, <clears throat> excellent advice, yeah, for sure. You definitely want to have yourself covered there uh, in, that, in that situation, so. Good stuff. And if you want more, you know, more information on kind of backups and archiving, you know, go back and take a listen to the episode that we uh, did just recently with Gary Fong and uh, shared all kinds of great uh, tips and advice for, you know, backing up and archiving um, your photos. All right. So I wanted this week, we wanted to jump in and, and, and sort of go into our camera bags a little bit. Um, and it's too bad Brian wasn't able to join us this week. I wanted to see what was in his in his bag. Um, but maybe we'll, we'll have another episode where we can see what's in Brian's bag. But well, he uh, shoots Nikon, correct? Nikon and Fuji. Nikon and Fuji, right. Yeah. I believe shoot something different, which is good. Yeah. So I believe he's mostly shooting. I think he shoots mostly Fuji, but he pulls his Nikon out in like during the ceremony and a few other points in the day. But I think for the most part, he's using his Fuji for a good, a good portion of the day. So. Right. So I wanted to dig into our bags and just sort of share like what, what do we carry with us? What do we carry it in? And, and sort of why do we bring what we do on, on a wedding day? Um, so I wanted to start even before the wedding day starts and we'll get into our bag and like what we carry it. But I want to talk a little bit about just the pregame prep sort of um, what do you go through any kind of a ritual or is there any kind of a routine that you regularly go through prior to the wedding day? Um, but you know, in terms of packing your gear, getting your gear ready, is there, do you have like a checklist? Do you have, is it just kind of in your head, the things that you do? Yeah, I'm kind of more an in your head type guy, but, um, I, and I used to be a little bit more diligent about, you know, a ritual or what I went through, but I still think like I'll spend a little time packing, um, Depends on the job. So I do a lot of different things. Yes, I shoot weddings and I shoot commercial stuff and portraits. I shoot portraits, but one of the things that I'll just pack based on what I need. And um, since I switched over to shooting Sony, I have many different kind of bodies and obviously technology changes. And uh, so it just depends on what I'm going to shoot uh, at that particular wedding. Um, of what I put in there. But one thing that I do, which I'll, I'll just plug this into your head, you guys. Um, and, uh, I haven't updated it in years, but <clears throat> if you think of something good and you start to write into the show, maybe I can add it to my list, but I actually, uh, have a set of goals that I've written out for the wedding day. Um, and whether you want to paste it on your mirror in the morning, whether you want to pray about it, whatever your, you know, religious background is, um, you could do that as well. Um, but I think, you know, like they say, 50% of accomplishing your goals is simply just writing them down. And uh, I have a list of things like, you know, even things that you think maybe that you can't control on the wedding day. But I have like, like, I think my number one thing is uh, that all the guests, family arrive and depart to and from the wedding safely. I say that because 
the wedding day is not a complete success unless that happens. I mean, you know, think about if there was some tragic, somebody got in an accident, got hurt, whatever, that sort of puts a damper on the wedding day. Like, my overall gist of the goals is for the wedding, the wedding, you know, the wedding, I, I you know, will type it out, you know, I have it in the computer, but then I'll change the names for, you know, Lisa and Dave's wedding, 100% complete success, um, and, you know, I have stuff on there, like, that I have eyes in the back of my head that I don't miss important moments, that I don't have equipment failure, that I have beautiful light, that I get my three hours, that my couples run on time, uh, you know, per the schedule that we've set up, that there's no other interference with other photographers, or, you know, there's so many things that you could go through your day and figure out what it is, you know, from top to bottom, if you really think about it, like, you know, that you don't run into traffic, that, you know, that basically anything you think that will make your day successful, and I do that, and I, I have that for each one of my weddings, and I look at it, you know, the week prior to, and, and, you know, so forth. So you get the idea of it now, but it is one thing that I implemented a long, long time ago, and uh, I really, I, I think it really helps, it makes a big difference. Yeah, that's a great, uh, yeah, that's a great idea, so it really sitting down and defining like, what are your goals for this wedding? What do you want to achieve? What do you want to accomplish? What, what is a successful day look like to you and really kind of mentally. So you're kind of, there's not so much the gear preparation as it's more of a mental, a mental preparation. Yeah. And I think that helps, you know, going into it, um, you know, just knowing. And then after a while, I mean, of course you're going to have the same goals for each wedding. Uh, You know, a lot of things obviously stay the same and, almost like a contract we've talked about this. If something changes or something doesn't work out and you're like, oh, I need to add that to my list to make sure that this also happens on my wedding day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if you're, you know, like if you're religious or whatever, you you know, you can add that to as part of your routine or add that thought. I think that also helps. So it's up to you how you want to deal with it. But I think the simple fact of doing it, you know, really, really makes a difference. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great advice. I think, I guess on a bit more of a subconscious level, I guess I go through that. I don't take it to the point where I actually print something out, but I definitely, I, I think, you know, the night before I'm always sort of thinking about the wedding. I'm always thinking about the shots that I want to get, um, you know, maybe thinking about a technique that I want to try, maybe something that I haven't done before. Maybe lately, I don't know why, but lately I've been on a bit of a kick of trying silhouettes. Yeah. Um, so I've been trying to, to work on, you know, work, work on that each wedding and sort of come away with a great um, silhouette image so those are sort of things more of a mental uh checklist of things that i'm that i'm going through what about when it comes down to your gear um do you have kind of a ritual or a certain way that you prepare your gear um prior to a wedding are you doing that the night before a wedding are you doing it the morning of a wedding when do you like to kind of get i have to leave like i know if i have like a late start like a two or three start for a local wedding course then you know i'll get my gear together the day before um I travel a lot, so, you know, like, I have to do that, you know, sometimes three, four days ahead of time to say what I'm taking with me, what's traveling with me, you know, do I have you know, all the basics, you know, making sure you've packed everything, cards, you know, battery, charger, you know, all that stuff. Um, so, you know, it just depends on, on what I'm doing, but I generally, like, if I have an early start, then, yes, I'll do it the night before so that I basically can just grab my bag. I'll pack everything. Everything's still open and unzipped uh, in case I remember anything in the morning and then, you know, zip it all up and go. Yep. 
So let's talk about what we carry it all in. Let's talk about your actual choice of bag. And then I want to talk about how you, if there's a way that you go about packing. Because I know I have, a, I have a little bit of OCD when it comes to packing my bag. And I like to have, a, there's a spot for everything in my bag. And there's a reason why I like to do that. So I want to find out if you have that similar approach or if you just sort of toss it all in the bag or do you have certain spots? So first of all, let's start with what, what bag, what's your choice of bag of choice? I think we probably all have bag addiction problems and we've probably all gone mm-hmm. through lots of different camera bags over the years. Um, do you have one particular bag you use or do you use different bags if you're traveling? No, I use the same bag when I travel. Um, I want some specifically for travel. I, um, I have Tamarack bags and uh, I have a roller bag that, you know, that is the one designed to go in the overhead because, of course, when I travel, like, I want my gear with me above the plane. Um, and basically, usually, if I'm traveling, I have two bags. I have uh, the Tamarack roller bag and then I have the shoulder bag. But it also has a slot in the front of it for my laptop because um, I used to have, like, sometimes two camera bags and computers and then that kind of, so I wanted to find a solution where I could sort of have my computer, so I had a, basically a camera bag and a computer bag, uh, and I did that. So it depends on how much gear I'm taking, but then I also have, um, oh my gosh, who's that bag? Uh, I don't know if it's a lightwear bag or a, but I have this other, that's a smaller, like, kind of computer case slash it's got a pocket for some three or four lenses. Um, if I don't need a lot, a lot of times I use that as, um, it's a, it's a Tenba bag. That's oh, a Tenba, okay. Um, and it's like a shoulder bag, and it has a spot for my laptop and three or four lenses. And I'll use it sometimes if I'm just doing, like, maybe an engagement shoot or a small shoot where I don't need anything, so I'll grab a couple bodies and a few lenses, and that's it. And it's just nice to throw over, like, like a shoulder, like a messenger bag, and then I can just work out of it that way. So what sort of things did you look for when you were, have you gone through a lot of different bags over the years? So what made you settle on, on that particular bag or have you always kind of used that bag? From- I've tried different ones. Oh, I mean, I've probably had uh, two or three different roller bags. Um, I've started with, with Tamarack and then I've kind of gone back to it. I did have a, um, what's the other big company, the roller bag that can, has a cable on it that you can lock. Um, a little think tank? Think tank. I had a think tank bag too, which I really, really liked. I think it was a great bag. Like, I mean, I think Tamarack or think tank. Um, I went back to the Tamarack bag. It had a little bit bigger wheels on it, which, uh, and they also have um, kind of like knobby wheels, if you will. So, makes it better for um, you know, you're not always dragging your bag across a perfectly you know concrete floor. Yeah. You're out in dirt and grass, and so I liked it, you know, for that reason. It was also a little bit, the Tamarack bag was a little bit smaller than the Think Tank bag, and it fit in the overhead just a little bit better. Um, the Think Tank bag was a little bit deeper, and you could kind of stack more things, uh, but um, I went back to the Tamarack bag just a little bit smaller, and it seemed to fit in the overhead better for me. Yeah. So is that, do you use that whether you're doing destination traveling for a wedding or, or local weddings? Is that the same bag you use? Yeah, sometimes if I'm not traveling, I won't take the, the roller bag. Um, I might just take one shoulder bag and then that uh, tender bag. Like I'll throw a few other things in the tender bag because it's still kind of small. Um, so it just kind of depends. But the, 
both the shoulder bag and the roller bag are turn neck bags. Um, you know, the shoulder bags like more of that traditional camera bag like you've seen everyone for years, but now they made this one with a nice slot in the front of it so that uh, you could, you know, take the your computer with you too if you want to do that. Yep. So is that the bag kind of that you use to like transport it all in to get, you know, sort of get it to the, to the, to the wedding? And then what happens? The one that I work out of. Okay. So, um, you know, I'll work out of the roller bag if I take the roller bag and, um, or I'll work out of the shoulder bag if I take the shoulder bag. Like I said, usually I have that tent bag along too to have just a few other things in there. So, because I've sort of grown out of one bag. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. I have a different, slightly different approach. I don't do as, as much traveling as you do. Most of the weddings that we do are, are local here in, in town. So, um, when I first started out, I had a big, um, a low pro, uh, backpack, one of their AW series, kind of one of their larger, um, backpacks, which was, you know, great for traveling and stuff like that. But I found on a wedding day, just that backpack style, it wasn't, it wasn't great. Um, I found it, it wasn't great to work out of. I was putting it down and then just opening it and it was, you know, getting at gear wasn't particularly easy. And then I had to, you know, zip it all up before I lifted it. And there was too much chance for stuff to fall out and break and all that kind of stuff. And I just found I was bringing, I was carrying on my body way more than I actually physically needed. Right. So probably a couple of years ago, I switched and I can show it. If you're watching on the video, I've got my bag. Here's my bag. So this is the bag that I carry with me on a wedding day. It's a low pro. Uh, it's the Novo, uh, sorry, the Nova 200 AW. So it's basically like a shoulder, a shoulder bag. Um, but I can fit about, uh, I can fit two bodies, about six lenses and a couple of uh, speed lights, um, in this bag. So this is kind of what I take with me now on, on the wedding day. Um, if I'm in town, usually the cameras I'll have, um, with me just on my hold fast, um, straps. So I use the the moneymaker holdfast straps to carry my cameras, which are these really nice um, leather um, camera straps. Uh, they just came out with new uh, fabric ones, actually. So if you want, um, if you don't want leather ones, they just released uh, a new series of fabric ones. But they're really, really comfortable camera holders. So I find that I have my cameras on the straps, and then everything else that I need with me on the wedding day is in this is in this bag. And it's fairly lightweight. It's easy. It's kind of like a top load, so I can get in and out of it really easy. So I find it's really easy to get at, you know, anything that I need. But I'm finding, you know, I'm carrying two camera bodies on me, so I'm not generally needing as much stuff out of the bag. Um, I am looking at, I, w I really want one. Holdfast makes uh, something they call the Sightseer bag, and it would, it would basically clip onto the back of the straps, and it's got room to put in a couple of lenses and maybe a speed light. So if I had that on me, I'd basically have everything I need on my on my body. Um, I really, really want one, but the, the bag itself is about $500. And with the current exchange rate between the Canadian and US <laughs> dollar, it's not, it's not pretty. So <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe for Christmas, I'll put in a, a word with Santa and see if he'll bring me the sightseer bag. But that's kind of what I bring with me for the most part on a wedding day is just this um, small bag. Um, and we'll talk about other stuff that we bring, you know, as far as our lighting gear, because we have a few more bags for that stuff. But that's kind of my main go-to bag is is this low uh, low pro bag. Right. I, I also you mentioned that like I I'll use an R strap from time to time to hold a camera. Um, I've tried spider the spider holster which I like. 
But generally, it is no fault of any one of those products. I just don't like stuff hanging off me. Even my camera straps, a lot of times, I, I just use the body without a strap. So I'm literally holding my body, which that is a pain sometimes. So sometimes if I work with two bodies, I generally am shooting with one at a time. I don't have like a body in a second one. Sometimes I'll one pack, and then I'll use the R strap with a spider holder to, to accomplish that. But generally, I just don't like stuff hanging off me at weddings. I don't like, like everything I use in my bag is not on me. Mm. So we're a bit different that way. I, I like to have it physically on me. I was finding that when I had two cameras and they weren't on me, I often wasn't using the other one, if that made sense. I was I was going more and switching my lenses and just sticking to the one to the one body. But I found since I switched to the to the hold fast straps now, I can just have both cameras on me and I can quickly pop back and forth. I usually have twenty four to seventy on one and a seventy to two hundred on the other, and I can you know just bounce back and forth between those um, fairly easily. So. I've been trying to, I guess I've been trying to like carry less stuff on me and, you know, as I'm getting older, it's, you know, long days, 12, 14 hour days sometimes. And yeah. be a lot of weight to pack around and lug around. And so I, I try to bring a little bit less <laughs> if I can. Less is more. Less is more. Yes. <laughs> well, it's nice with a lot of the, you know, uh, mirrorless cameras that are coming out and they're smaller and lighter and, you know, I think that's helping some, you know, like, so you don't have so much weight and, and heavy equipment in your bags or on your body. Yeah, for sure. So when you pack your bag, do you have a ritual? Do you have, I know for me, I have kind of like each lens has a spot in the bag and speed lights go in a certain spot. And the, I do that very specifically so that I know at the end of the night, when I'm looking back in my bag, if one of those spots is, is empty, I know which lens I've sat down on a table somewhere and I need to go try and track down. Are you very particular about where everything goes in your bag or do you kind of just put it in? No, I'm not particular. I mean, stuff generally lives in the same compartments as far as like, I do have a place that I put my speed lights um, because they just fit better in that particular pocket, but the lenses can bounce around and move around. Um, But I don't have like, you know, I do of course a check, but I'm, I'm not a leaving my stuff around type of person. I've worked with photographers or had seconds before where like I've literally like found their bodies like in a bush or you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, like how how do you like not lose equipment every week? Yeah, I have a few friends like that that uh, are are known to leave a trail of camera equipment behind. So if you if you want free free camera equipment, just follow them on a wedding day and you're bound to get something at some at some point. So right. um yeah, Instead I'm of a second shooter, you can have a recovery shooter that follows behind you and yeah. covers all your gear, and you pay them based on uh, how much money they just saved you. Yeah, the percentage of the value of the gear that they found you. So, um, yeah, I know uh, that's maybe something if you're working with a second or an assistant that's maybe there to help you keep track of the bag, maybe having a, a particular system in place might be beneficial. Again, this is kind of more advice for other photographers out there. Um, just so that they know like, okay, Hey, this compartment is for the 70 to 200. If it's empty, the 70 to 200 is missing. You need to find it kind of thing. Whereas it, it might be easy if there's no system to where everything goes, it might be easier to forget something or overlook something. Um, and then you get to the next wedding and you know, you realize that it's not in your bag because you just, you know, you overlooked it. So that's, that's why I like to have a system and just have everything in a very specific place so that I know each time when I open my bag up, if that slot is empty, I know what is supposed to be in that, you know, kind of in that space. Yeah. It helps me 
just to keep a little more organized. That's maybe a little my OCD kicking in at times, but. So in terms of the, the let's go with uh, cameras then. Let's talk about what uh, what cameras do you carry with you on on the day? What's in your bag as far as camera bodies? Well, I don't think it's any secret that everybody knows I shoot Sony. They talk about it. Really? I, I, I had no idea. <laughs> um, I am a Sony artisan, so that it's yep. part of my job to talk about that. Yep. Um, but no, I mean, again, if you've never heard a show and you, you know, why does Robert shoot Sony, I'll just give you a brief. Like, I about three years ago or so, um, I was just hearing a lot of good things about Sony, and they were always kind of on my radar. I shot Canon prior to shooting Sony, mm-hmm. and I was just hearing good things about it. And I was curious, um, and so uh, I got a hold of a, a couple other bodies back then, the, the A77, and I started shooting it, and there was just so many amazing things about the camera that it took a sec to get used to, but once I did, you know, the OLED viewfinder where you can, like, actually chimp in camera while you're looking through the camera, when you adjust your uh, shutter speed or your aperture, you see it happen in real time, so it's not like with Canon, I'd, like, make an adjustment take a picture, look at the back, make an adjustment, take a picture, look at the back, you know, and so on. I mean, I'm not going to go into all the great things about the, the camera, but um, so I, I was I was hooked. And the, and the thing with that is, like, I think photographers are such creatures of habit, and, you know, we shoot Canon, we're Canon photographers, and then, you know, we almost become our own army at Nikon stuff, and, you know, all these, you know, you start saying, how do the cameras are better, worse than yours, yours is the best. But yeah. I'm trying to keep an open mind, and um, I just, you know, I proved it to myself, really, by shooting the camera, um, you know, so I would say, whatever camera you're curious about, you know, if you think there's something better, rent one, shoot one, like, see what you think about it, you know, before making a big jump and selling all your stuff, but anyway, so I've been shooting Canon for over three years, or Sony for over three years now, and um they, you know, they've evolved in there, in, you know, with mirrorless, and you know, I, I have, I have several different bodies. I have an A99, I have an A77 I have a 6000, any X60 going back. I have uh, all the A series cameras. I have, an, you know, an A7, an A7S, an A72, an A7R, an A7R2, which is the latest that first came out, and they all kind of do different things. Um, so, for instance, let's just talk about the latest. Like, uh, you know, they just came out with the A7R2, which is an amazing camera, beautiful. Um, the one thing that I would say for me as a wedding photographer, uh, it's like a 42 megapixel camera. Um, yeah. Those are some really, really big files. And, you know, like, everybody talks about megapixel. And, you know, like, I mean, I remember back having a, a, a 6 or 8 megapixel camera. And it was fine, because if you think about what we do, in most cases, 99% of the files or images that you will sell are 11 by 14 and smaller. And I say 11 by 14, I'd say 8 by 10, but I know I make like a 10 by 13 books, uh, so sometimes I'll fill the page with those. And that other 1% really is for the occasional blow-up that you're going to sell for a wall portrait or something like that. But otherwise, today, if people are ordering prints, I would say they're more 4x6s and 5x7s and 8x10s or even less. But, um, you know, if you take all those things into consideration, that's why I say 99% of what you're selling is 11 by 14 and smaller. So you don't need, you know, you could shoot a 6-megapixel camera and be perfectly okay with that for what you need. Now, if you're a commercial photographer, that 42 megapixel camera is going to make a difference. 
Um, but for what we do as wedding photographers, um, that's my philosophy. You know, someone's going to disagree with me, but but overall, that's what works best for me. So as far as bodies and stuff that are in my camera right now, I am currently shooting uh, the A7R, and because the file sizes are big, I'm I'm just sort of selecting it when I shoot. Shooting my bride and groom portraits with that, and I'm shooting um, family portraits with that. But for getting ready, I will shoot my A7 II. Um, I will shoot even my A6000. I love that camera. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a $500 body. It's an amazing camera. If it's all your email lenses, um, I'll use the A6000 cocktail image. I'll put a, a, my 7200 on it during cocktail. Uh, when it's outside, typically, and I'll walk through and I'll hunt out people uh, and just sort of do a single uh, candid headshot, try to catch them smiling. Um, I'll use that for the ceremony as well. You know, like I'll put my long lens on it. Um, I'll use that for ceremony. Um, so it just depends on, again, the job. I'm like, okay, what am I going to go shoot? Uh, I'll use my A7S a lot. My A7S for the Canon is a real high ISO, silent shutter. Um, and that is only, I believe, like a 12 megapixel camera. Um, so it's not a very big file size, but it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, I like, you know, in that sense, the A7S is great because of the silent shutter. So if you're in a church and you, and you don't want to make any noise, I mean, when I say silent shutter, you do not hear a sound when you push the button. It's actually kind of weird. Um, but it's taking the photo. Um, and then I like the A7S for the high ISO uh, in receptions where, again, you're in a church with no light. You know, you can crank it up. The files look great. So it's all going to depend on, you know, what, what I'm shooting as far as cameras, lenses, and gear. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an, an analyzing, I guess, my location, whether I'm going to be inside or outside, um, you know, what the data entails. Um, there is always that, you know, I think as photographers, we want to bring everything with us. Mm -hmm. We just can't, especially now, as much stuff as I have. I just can't. So I have to be okay with, you know, like, I'll get there and be like, oh, I didn't bring that one. I'm like, okay, well, but it's going to have to do. Um, it's kind of fun to sort of challenge yourself, like, a little bit off topic, but one time I second shot with a friend of mine. I specifically asked, can I just get a second shoot with you because I want to do this test for myself. And I took my 100mm macro, and that's the only lens I took to this job with me. And I took mm. myself to shoot that lens all day long, whether it be close up, but that's also a portrait lens. And it was just kind of a very fun exercise to make yourself, you know, shoot with just one lens, you know. Yeah. It wasn't, I know you can't do that at your weddings, but like, yeah, I was gonna say, well, probably don't want to do that if you're the only shooter. <laughs> right. I went with a friend specifically to challenge myself to shoot just one lens that day. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a fun, that's a fun challenge. Yeah. I try to do that sometimes when I'm second shooting as well is try some different things that maybe I wouldn't necessarily, you know, do if I was just the main photographer getting, you know, quote unquote, the safe shots and those right. type of things. Right. So Okay. So you have at least for sure, you have a minimum of two bodies with you. Um, I think that's, you know, advice to any new photographers that are starting out or thinking about getting into weddings. I, you know, do not even think about attempting to go into a wedding situation with one camera. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. There's no, absolutely no, uh, no excuse for going into a wedding situation with one camera. Um, I know sometimes, you know, photographers starting out, maybe they, they use the excuse, well, I can't really afford a second camera. Well, I, my, my, you know, feedback to you would be, you can't not afford a second camera if you're going to go 
and, and photograph a wedding. So maybe you borrow one, maybe you rent one, um, you know, do what you need to do, but have at a minimum, have two cameras there um, with you and be familiar with how to use both those cameras as well. I think, um, you know, if you're going to rent a camera as your second body, if you can't afford to have one full time, you know, get to know that thing inside and out. Because if your main body fails and now all of a sudden you have to rely on that second body and you don't know, you know, how to use it or where the buttons are, or how to adjust things, um, you know, you're going to find yourself in a little bit of a pickle and you might be missing sh- important shots or important moments, but yeah, you never want to go into the, you know, into a wedding situation with, you know, with just one camera, because that'll be the time that it'll fail. Have you had cameras fail on you at a, at a wedding? It's been a long, long time. Um, but yeah, I've had like, what did I have one? Like, you know, I just kept getting an error 99 message. And so like, it's one of those things, like, if you can't fix it within the first few seconds, like, I'd much rather just shut the body down and not take a risk and yeah. just move on to something else, you know, like, okay, I, today is not the time to sit here and see if it's going to work, you know, like, yeah. I, I, I just have to move on. So I generally have about three bodies with me at the time because I have multiple different types of cameras now, but um, I'd be fine if, you know, something went down and I could just sort of, like, move on. It might limit you uh, with lenses or things that you can do, but, again, you just have to make sure that you're, like, kind of covered that way and, and, and move on. But it's better to have a limiting body and limiting lenses than no body at all to shoot with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we always have like I shoot with my wife as probably a lot of people listen to the show are are aware she's my she's my assistant second shooter. So we always have two bodies on us each. So um, I carry the Mark three and the 1DX and then Sarah's got the the Mark 5D Mark two and the 5D Mark three. So we always have four cameras with us on on the wedding day. So, you know, we're always, you know, we're always going to be covered if anything happens. The odds of, you know, four cameras failing, I think would be pretty, pretty slim. so, you know, we're always, you know, we're always covered that way in terms of multiple cameras. But if you, if you don't have more than one camera, you know, get one would yeah. be, would be our advice in terms of, of <laughs> camera bodies. So, okay. So that's camera bodies. Do you, is there anything, um, is there a ritual or anything that you do prior to the wedding day in terms of prepping your, your camera bodies? Is there like cleaning, charging batteries, syncing times, all that kind of stuff? Do you do that kind of every shoot through? Yeah, maybe not. I mean, I will go through and like clean my lenses, you know, lens cloth. Um, But other than that, um, like, I I definitely have to time sync as as you guys know, I travel a lot. So, and it's also important to make sure that like, I I generally like when I get to my hotel, um, I'll probably do it then, you know, because I'm usually arrive a day early or I have at least, you know, five hours in the morning prior to my job if I have a one hour, you know, one or two, three o'clock start time. Um, that's usually the first thing that I do is just basically sync my, all my bodies, especially if I have three, sometimes four bodies. Um, even if I don't use them, I sync them all to the, to the local time via my iPhone. Um, and then that's kind of what I tell my assistants, like, you know, sync, sync to your, you know, your phones. Um, because they're all pretty close, you know, I'm not so anal, they don't have to be to the second, but I don't want them, you know, minutes off or whatever. So if we're, you know, and then if I do that and, you know, like, I mean, maybe your assistant doesn't have an iPhone, so I'll, you know, I'll just do a check on one camera and see like how close they are to me. And as long as they're, you know, it's usually, they're usually never a problem. We all have the same time. Just, I don't know the second. Um, 
but I'll always do that, you know, because that'll just save you time in editing afterwards. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like other than like cleaning lenses and charging batteries, of course, like I'm always uh, charging batteries. Like even when I'm at home, you know, I have chargers, you know, a station kind of in the wall. And as I'm using stuff, I'm charging it and I'm putting, and I have a system in my bag where like one pocket has all the charged batteries and the other pocket has the, the uncharged batteries. And so I know I can just reach into the pocket with the batteries that I've used and then start charging those. So instead of waiting to the last minute, I'm trying to charge kind of like as I go. And, uh, you know, I may get to a destination, get to my hotel room, and, you know, in that uncharged pocket, there's still four batteries. So I'll start right away. You know, like that's the most important thing is to stay on top of your charging um, instead of, you know, waking up the morning of your wedding and go, oh, I need to charge my batteries because you're going to run out of time. Yeah. Do you find that that's uh, with the mirrorless cameras? Do you find that you go through batteries more so? Because I, I know for me with, with our bodies, I can get through generally a 12 hour wedding day, you know, no problems on, on one battery um, in my 1DX and my 5D Mark III. And they're usually sitting at around the, the 30% mark if I've really been working them. Do you find with the mirrorless, are you going through batteries a little more frequently? It depends on the body, but yeah, on the mirrorless cameras, the ones that take the smaller batteries, I'll just call them because I shoot the A99 too. And that takes a little bit bigger of a battery. Um, uh, I have the vertical grip, so I have like two. I can put two batteries in the camera at the yeah. same time, um, and they they'll usually last most of the day. But yes, go through a little more batteries using the mirrorless. So I just you know to combat that, I just make sure I have plenty of batteries yeah. um, that are charged, and so it's not a big deal. You can't you know survive with you know some of the shooting mirrorless, or even if you have a you know, whatever you shoot, you can't just have the two batteries that go in your camera and your vertical grip. But you should also have at least two more, like a backup, so that, you know, just like a body, like you have two charged batteries ready to go should you run out of battery. Because how dumb would you look to your client, like, hold on, we need to wait two hours while my battery. I got to wait my battery charge, yeah. Yeah, that's, and batteries can go too. Like, I've got a an off camera flash system that uses these external battery packs. And recently, one of them, you know, full, it showed full charge, four dots. And then all of a sudden, no shooting, shooting, shooting. It went down to three dots. And then like two seconds later, it was done. Yeah. So something's wrong. Something's screwed with the battery. So even batteries can, you know, eventually their, their life deteriorates, you know, over the years and they lose their ability to hold a, a charge like they want. So you might have a, a, what might appear to be a fully charged battery, but you, you know, you might get a few shots out of it and then all of a sudden find it's dead. So you definitely want to have, you know, have spare batteries. So we always have, you know, a few spare batteries um, with us as well that are always charged up and ready to go if, if need be. But these days, the ones that are in our cameras, I find are, are pretty good. Right. I can get through a full day for the most part. But yeah, we have spares, you know. Well, and the other thing is, is the media cards. Like, you know, I always like load my cameras, full, you know, put the cards in all my cameras reformat the cards, you know, make sure those are all ready to go. Even sometimes I will do that, you know, prior to traveling and have my cameras loaded with media cards because I just always have the mindset, like, what if I need to rip that camera out of the bag and shoot something that, like, you know, there's something crazy going on or you want a photo or something and yep. and it has to happen in a second. You know, I don't want to be hunting for the media card and, you know, and all that. So a lot of times I will travel with cards in camera ready to go. Yeah, I um yeah, formatting the cards that's something that we do. You know, kind of we have a routine that we go through the morning of the wedding that we will do our sync, we'll do our format and we do our sync and we kind of do it all at the same time before we get into the car. It's kind of our last thing that we do before we get into the car is we say, "Okay, let's go through. Do we have cards in each slot? 
you know, and then we format the cards because I have, there's a, a couple times where I've gone and I'm shooting away and then I, I'm like, how am I out of room on this card? And I look back and I'm like, oh crap, I forgot to format one of the cards because we have two cards in each camera and I forgot to format one of the cards. So that's happened to us before. So now we kind of, you know, every time out we, you know, we go through. I think another little tip is if your camera has the ability to um, shoot without a card, you want to turn that option off on your camera because a lot of them have that ability where it'll allow you to shoot without a card in it. Right. You want to turn that feature off so that it can't take a picture without a card. Otherwise, you might inadvertently think you have a card. It's it sounds like a, a really stupid thing, but it it could happen to anybody. Um, you know, just things happen on a wedding day. Things happen. Stuff's moving quickly. It's it, you know, there's always something that could happen. So you want to you want to make sure that you can systemize stuff as much as possible to avoid any of those potential yeah. problems. It's, it's like when pilots go into a plane. I think I think Gary Fong has sort of had was a big proponent of this, very much into the like a he called it like a pre flight pre flight checklist, and he would go through it very um, rigorously every wedding that he shot. He would have a, a very concrete list of things that he would go through, and it's very much like pilots in a plane. Even though they might have flown that plane thousands of times and never had a problem, they still go through that pre flight checklist every single time very thoroughly to make sure that you know right. nothing goes 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 awry so in terms of the cards so that's so you have a system for your batteries um so you have a, a, a pocket where they're charged uncharged what about for your cards how do you deal with uh, your memory cards and a system for your memory cards do you have i well i like to have a lot of memory cards the sony cameras all take sd cards um so even when i shot cf cards i always had a ton of cards um i can't i i believe you can't have too many um and generally, so I will download a job, and then I'll put those cards aside. Um, or I recently just did a destination job. I just got back you know, Monday, and uh, I bring, of course, an external hard drive. I download the job to the external hard drive, and then I still have the cards. Um, you know, I'll keep the cards maybe in my pocket you know, while flying. Uh, you know, it's just three or four little small little cards, so that's not a big deal. And the equipment's also with me, so it just depends on how crazy you want to get. Um, and then when I get home, um, uh, well, while I was on the plane, I did my edit. In other words, I just cut it back to my first pass, which was like 1,200 images. Um, and then I'll take those, just those raw files, and I'll move them over onto another computer. Uh, just so that I have the best raw files also someplace else, you know, just for now. Um, but once I'm done, you know, going back to that, like once I'm done with those cards and I know it's backed up and the job's complete, I'll take the cards that I've sort of saved. And then I, I have a, a, actually a think tank card holder, one of those little blue think tank card holders. And I move them um, into that. And I just, you know, it holds, it's got a pocket for like, I don't know, I, that thing will hold like 20, 30. Then I just put them in there sort of like they're in the kind of the rotation and there's like sections and then they can like move up. But I put them in there because I know they're covered. I know I can go back and use those. And it's funny because maybe by the time I go to use them again, it's three months later or it could be the next job because that's just what I happen to grab. But I always stick the old cards in the camera, look at them before I reformat and go, what, it, what was on here? Oh, okay, that's his job, and I know that it's backed up and that I'm covered, or you know, whatever. So it's okay for me to reformat. Another card tip um, that I think it's good to share with, which is something that I do, which you guys can do, is like, have you ever? I mean, think about this. Have you ever gone to a, a job and you forgot your cards? 
Um, it's happened I before. <laughs> I was close to home. Luckily, I've been doing an engagement shoot, but I was packing my little, you know, Tenba bag, and, and it was just one of the things that I forgot to throw in there is grab my media cards. Um, so, like, I will stash cards, whether you want to stash a couple cards in your bag that are, like, it's your stash cards. You don't touch them unless you found yourself in that position. Um, you could keep a couple in, like, the glove box of your car or wherever you want to stash them because usually you have your car. But it's just a good idea to, like, you know, in your camera bag, maybe stash a couple of cards so if you were ever in that position, you're like, okay, I do have cards, not most optimal because I don't have the comfort of knowing that I have a bunch of cards with me. But, again, better than having to scramble and run to some store and try to find media cards and all of that. So stash cards however you want in your bag, in your car. You know, it's a good little, a good little habit. It's a good investment. You know, buy two new cards and just stash them. Leave them in the little plastic cases they come in and stash them. Yeah. Are you a proponent on the actual wedding day itself? Are you a proponent of kind of shooting on larger cards and avoiding the, because I know, I know I have some friends that shoot on smaller cards, like maybe eight gig cards. And I see them constantly throughout the day and they're like playing this juggling game of like switching cards and then, and then, Oh, these ones are face down and they're the, and they're numb. And it's like, Oh, I just rather would have like one big card. I've got dual cards in my camera. Right. And I, I'm, I'm done. I don't have to worry about playing the switcheroo game throughout the day because I think that just opens up Pandora's box of too, <laughs> too many problems of like accidentally grabbing the wrong card. I have a story. A friend of mine, she was second shooting and she, um, or photographer, a friend of mine, she had a girl who was second shooting with her and her card thing filled up. She says, oh, I need a card. Can you go to my bag and grab a card? Or her second shooter's card filled up. So she said, oh, just go into my bag. There's some cards. And she actually took one of the cards that had been used in the morning for, for getting ready, right. put it in her camera. It was a different camera. She was shooting, I think, Canon, and the main shooter was shooting Nikon. So she didn't see any photos on it. So she went ahead and formatted it, shot throughout the day, and then it came to the end of the night, and it was like, oh, wait a minute, this card is missing, and it had the getting ready shots on it. I just think there's just too many problems with that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I used to be that way, um, you know, going through digital. I mean, of course, when I started shooting digital, like, the biggest cards were 512 cards. So yeah. <laughs> we were we were going through a few of those. Um, but I was also only shooting JPEG then, too. But um, now I do tend to shoot uh, just larger cards in one card. I did have that mindset for a while. Like, I didn't want to, like, put everything, you know, put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, everything on one card. Um, but I always maintain my own cards. Um, that's another thing. Keep your cards on your person. I think I've said this before on the show, but you know, I have my cards in a case. And once I go, you know, I might keep my cards in, a, in, a, in my bag, but once I like switch out a card and I put a new one in, then the cards stay in the, the coat pocket of my jacket or my suit. Uh, and the cards stay on me once I know I have shot media on there. Again, with the premise, like if somebody stole your bag or whatever, you know, they can take your camera equipment. Hopefully, you're insured, but you can't replace those images. Yeah. Uh, so that's a, a, another good little tip. But um, I, I used to be that way where I shot everything on, you know, a gig cards or whatever. But now I'm I shoot either uh, 32 or 64 gig cards, and generally with me shooting multiple bodies because I will use different bodies for different things. I just have one card in the camera and it stays there. I generally am not switching out cards anymore, even shooting raw files. 
Yeah. So at the end of the day, I just empty three cards from three different bodies, or four cards from four different bodies, or two cards from two different bodies, depending on what I use. Yeah, yeah. If I ever have to switch cards, it's not very often that I do because I'm usually shooting sixty fours and thirty twos. If I do have to switch one out, and I, the card goes, uh, I put it in my left pocket, and it means left alone. Nice. I don't know. That's just a little. Yeah, no, no. It's whatever. I think whatever system you want to create, it's just forming good habits. Like you said, you you're, you're you sound like you're very more meticulous than I am. Um, but you know, I have my own system in the way I do things, like everybody does. But it, that's the point: is creating your own system so that you know, you know, you have your own fail-proof system. Yeah, and I think it's important if you're working with an assistant or a second that they understand your system as well, um, in case you need them to grab a card or you know whatever the case may be. That they that they know if you're working with different assistants all the time or different second shooters, you know you got to make sure spend that time up front and and train them on your system and how you do things so that they're aware of it as well. So you don't run into that scenario like I mentioned earlier of another photographer grabbing a card, you know, and putting it in their camera and suddenly you lose the you know the getting ready shots. So. Another way to do this, like what I like to do with my second shooters, and everyone's going to have a different style, but. This is like the whole second shooter argument too, but if someone second shoots for me, I give them cards. I say, these are my cards. You shoot at my cards. You give me the cards back. Um, they're in a case. I know how many they have. So at the end of the day, I can be like, I gave you five cards. There's only four cards here. Where's that other one? Yeah. That type of thing, just from losing the images perspective. Um, and and that, that applies to because I have second shooters that shoot for me that shoot CF cards. But I still have CF cards just because I shoot SD cards and I hand them a case with CF cards in it and say, here, and you shoot on my cards. It solves a lot of problems. Well, you can obviously do inventory at the end of the job, but then um, you're not also worried about them using your images or whatever, uh, you know, that type of thing. So I do it. That's the way I do it. Yeah. So in terms of other other stuff in your bags, we've talked about kind of bodies, we've talked about cards and, and batteries and that kind of stuff. Um, what lenses do you carry with you? What are your kind of your, your go-to lenses? Are you a prime guy? Do you like the zooms? What, uh... I have a little bit of both. Um, I, I always, I have a macro. I have a 100 millimeter macro that I keep in the bag. Um, sometimes, uh, well, actually I have the new 90 millimeter macro. I had a 100 millimeter macro for my A99. And now that the new 90 millimeter micro came out for the e uh, for the uh, e mounts, I really like that. But I've also used that as sort of like a portrait lens, so I really like I like it for that purpose. So I have a macro in the bag. Um, I have uh, kind of like a 24 to 70 uh, that's uh, that's a Zeiss 24 to 70 e mount. Um, I'm switching a lot more to my e mount lenses now because I'm using the mirrorless bodies. Um, that's kind of just an overall, like, I'll use that for getting ready or, you know, some candid type stuff. Um, for portrait, I'm still using some of my uh, A-mount lenses that I really like to shoot on my E-mount bodies. Uh, two specifically is the, are my 85-1.4 uh, and then my 135-1.8. Both are Zeiss lenses, but just really beautiful pieces of glass that, like, I, I just have to have. Um, and so I'm shooting those with the Sony adapters, you know, those different adapters. Yeah. Uh, depends on the lens, actually, you know. Um, and then I'll have a wide. So I have a 16 to 35 E-mount Zeiss lens. I have uh, my, of course, I mentioned my 70 to 200 uh, G-series E-mount. 
which I'll use for ceremony. I'll use for cocktail candids. When, when do you use your wide? I'm curious when you use your wide because I have a 16 to 35 and it, it doesn't come out of my bag that much. Mostly uh, that's reception. Yep. Um, so because I also have the, I just, I just purchased it about two months ago, the 35, uh, email 35, I believe it's a 1.4, um, which I sort of bought on a whim, and I like to say now that's the lens that I didn't know I needed, but I love it. Um, and so if I really need, like, a, a bigger group shot or whatever, like, I'll go to that one. Um, it's nice because it has, you can adjust the aperture yourself. It, it has an adjustable aperture ring, like a traditional lens, yeah. or you can put it on automatic, but I tend to uh, do it that do it that way, like leave it on manual and adjust it. Um, but yeah, the 16 to 35 will come out of the bag when I'm doing reception typically. And that's for like, you know, tight dance floor stuff. Like people are dancing. That way I can move around the dance floor. I can be kind of right on top of them and like look for expression in moments. Um, but then if, you know, we're doing toast, uh, I will switch over to a longer lens. Maybe I'll put the 90 millimeter on there and, and use that to shoot toasts, or even sometimes the 70 to 200, depending on you know the room and how close I should get or can't get. Or because um, I like to, you know, I'll say with my seconds, like you get reaction, I'll get toast, or vice versa. We just switch it up. I don't really have any particular. I generally tend to try to shoot the bride and groom reactions. Yeah. But um, you know, we'll do it that way, so then I can kind of be a ways away, but but then get that. So it, it just kind of depends. I mean, really, like, if you simplified your bag, you probably could get away with, like, four lenses. Um, you know, some of them are specialty. Uh, I used to have a fisheye. I don't have a fisheye anymore. I haven't shot fisheye in a while, um, probably since I got rid of my Canon stuff. I don't miss it. Um, yeah. Every once in a while, it's good for something, but... Uh, yeah, I have one. It sits on my shelf. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even bring it with me on the wedding day anymore because I wasn't even pulling it out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I'll use, you know, the, I mentioned the two A mounts, the 85 and the 135, 1.8. Those are generally for my bride and groom portraits, um, especially, you know, single bride, single groom together. Um, occasionally, uh, and I guess more than occasionally, I will use my 85 for, uh, smaller groups. So like shooting the bride with each of her girls, you know, I, I usually don't let that expand more than to like two or three, four people in a group. If I do that, then I'll switch to, you know, maybe a different lens. I also have a 50 uh, that I keep in the bag. And sometimes that's good for groups. Uh, you know, I'll just move myself. But, uh, you know, we all find lenses that we like that are our favorite lenses. And, you know, a lot of times we want to shoot those, but sometimes they're not applicable to what we're shooting. Right. Yeah. What about yeah, we carry a mixture. Um, a, a mixture. I mean, we've got the hundred macro that I use sometimes for portraits, but obviously for detail shots and rings and those sorts of things. Um, we've got a thirty-five one four, a fifty one two, an eighty-five one four. Um, but I find I'm using more nowadays. I'm I'm sticking with my twenty-four to seventy, the newer the version two, the, the Canon lens, and uh, I I I. Was shooting more primes when I had the original version of that twenty four to seventy, but since the new one came out, it's it's a beautiful lens, beautiful piece of glass. Um, it's nice and sharp. So I've been using that a lot, and then my seventy two hundred um, is usually on my other my other body, and that's kind of what I stick with for a good chunk of the day. And then I'll you know when the mood strikes me, I'll switch. You know when I'm doing portraits, sometimes then I'll switch maybe to my fifty or my eighty five or the hundred. I'll kind of you know depends on my mood that day and how fast things are moving and and, and what's happening. Um, 
but that's generally what I'll carry with me in in the bag as far as lenses go. Um, and then, uh, but twenty four to seventy and the seventy to two hundred are kind of what are on my camera bodies for the most part of the day. And I could probably get through the entire day with just those two lenses and yeah, and be fine. Yeah, when I shot Canon, I mean that was like one of my go to lenses, the twenty four to seventy. And right when I switched was about the time that that lens came out, and I've heard nothing but great things about the twenty four to seventy. Yeah. So I never did get a chance to shoot it, but yeah, that, I mean, you can, I would always say photographers would ask me like, if you could, you know, what's your favorite lens, but I would always take it a little further and say, you know, if I only had one lens to shoot the entire wedding with or choose one, that's the one that I would pick would be the 24 to 70 because it is the most versatile and it's also a little bit of a macro too. So. Yep. Yep. And Canon just released a new 35. Did they? The new 35 1.4, it's 2200 bucks, but it's got this new um, blue floor, blue something optics on it that's supposed to be better, better control over um, chromatic aberrations and all these kinds of things. So, be interesting to see. I think you're starting to see these new lenses come out now with the 5DS and the 5DR, these new high, you know, these big high megapixel bodies. So, right. So what else, any other, uh, we could probably go on, you know, for a while. I know we're kind of running probably a little long on this. So what, it, what's the most unique item? Is there other stuff that you have in your camera bag? What's kind of a unique item that you have in your bag that you might think like, hmm, why would Robert have that in his bag? But it's come in handy. Well, it is my pick of the week. Do you want to like sure. jump ahead? Okay, let's do it. All right. So what's your, what's your pick of the week this week? Um, so... You know, I was thinking about that. We try to do our picks of the week based on what is applicable to the show topic. Not always, doesn't have to be. But um, so my pick of the week is uh, I, I carry a, a GL1 uh, gun light. Um, okay. And it's basically like, it looks like, um, you know, it's like a trigger light, but it has uh, a spot and you can zoom the spot in and out. It looks like a drill kind of, sort of. Yeah, it looks like a drill. Um, it's very powerful. You can shoot a beam of light across the room. Um, it's really great. Like I don't use it at every single wedding cause the, maybe the conditions aren't right for it, but I love it for a hotel wedding, um, where, or, or at night. So a lot of times if you want to do some dramatic pictures at night and, you know, like a lot of times I'll use ambient light within a hotel or put the client in a place where they're being lit. But then this, I can either add more light, add a fill light to it. I can put them in an area that's not even lit and use it to light them. I use it on the dance floor a lot of the times to either backlight them or even spotlight them to make it look like there's a big, beautiful spotlight in the room. I'll have my assistant, like, you know, light them up, especially if the lighting is really bad during first dance. Um, it, you know, it allows you to work almost anywhere. You can be in a hotel room, you know, bride got ready and you need to do a couple portraits of her before she leaves the room. But the lighting, you know, the available light's not that great. Um, it has the rheostat on it so I can adjust the light to what I want. Um, it has rings on the front of it. So I have a, a daylight filter. Um, if I want to use it outside, um, it definitely knocks the, uh, you know, wattage of the light down a little bit, but you can use it outside, like as a fill light, um, and, you know, daylight balance it. So I really love the light. Um, uh, I was actually created by a couple of friends of mine, Brian Marcus and John Solano. Um, and so I sort of heard about this light for years and years and years while they were creating it. And then finally, uh, it came out and, um, you know, I saw him demo it at shows and then I finally, you know, bit the bullet and got myself one, uh, but I really love it. 
I mean, I really think it's it's a really a nice addition to have um, just if you need it, you know, when you need it. But I, I would say when I bring it with me, I use it most of the time. Yeah. Interesting. So that's the Lowell. It's made. It's Lowell, right? Yeah, I believe it's Lowell. Uh, they purchased it from them, and yeah, I believe it's a Lowell GL1 Hotlight. Excellent. So it's a continuous light. It looks like a drill. We'll put links uh, to to the pick in the show notes. So if you're curious about checking that out, you can uh, go to the uh, blog post for this episode and check it out, and you'll find links there. So what Excellent. about you? Jump ahead. You want me to jump into my pick of the week? Yeah. Sure. Okay. So my pick of the week, it, it's a it's a newer item in my bag. Um, I I actually ordered it at WPPI, but it only finally arrived in August. So it took them a little while to get it finally produced. Yeah. Ran into some production issues. Um, but it's I'm going to show it here. If you're watching the video, it's the brand new uh, version two of the Ice Light. Oh, so you're going light too. Yeah, I'm going to go with light as well. Um, so this is a portable, another portable constant um, light source. It was designed by Jared Guionis. Um, it looks like a lightsaber. So if you're those who aren't watching the video, it basically looks like a lightsaber. And it's a, another constant light source. Um, so this is version two, the newest one. Um, and they've made some improvements over the original version. The controls are, have been improved a little bit. Supposedly, it's 50% brighter. I didn't own the first one, so I can't, I have no way of verifying that, but supposedly it's 50% brighter than the original. Um, and then uh, the other big change is now it has a replaceable battery. The previous one, the battery was sort of built hard into the unit. So if, if it died, you had to take the whole unit offline, basically plug it in to charge it. Now you can get um, spare batteries. So you get about an hour. And I got this actually just before I went to Mexico to shoot a uh, second shoot a destination wedding. And I brought this with us, and it was it was excellent um, for some of the dance floor because they had their reception outside, and it was dark, um, and there was very little ambient light. We had speed lights with us, but just in terms of being able to grab any kind of focus or anything, um, this came in really, really handy. And then we also use it during detail, uh, you know, for shooting details and stuff like that, table details. Um, it's really just nice, light, portable, um, and it's a daylight balanced. You can get uh, gels for it if you want to warm it up and put a tungsten gel on it. So. Another little portable handy thing to have in the bag. It doesn't weigh too much, um, and it's a good little portable um, light source. So it's the Ice Light version 2. So a different version of an alternative light source at your wedding. Exactly, yeah. So we have that in our, in our bag. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of my, my pick of the week. I don't know if it's the most unique item that I have in my bag. I'm trying to think if I had a really unique item in my bag, and I think... I usually have, we usually not in my bag, but we carry like a little second bag that's like, we call it our emergency kit. And we usually have like band-aids, bobby pins, tied stick to go, aspirin, um, duct tape, you know, th these kinds of things. You just never know when you and or your bride or groom are going to need these things. Um, so it's kind of this handy little survival kit that we have with us um, that we bring with us on a wedding day. That might be a good thing if you have one of those, throw a couple of memory cards in that bag. Yeah. I, you know, it's so funny you say that. I've thought about doing that for years and I've like never done it. And I think one of them was just because I'm like, oh, do I need another bag to carry? Yeah. yeah. You know, but, but it definitely is a smart thing to have because you, you have one of those things. You're going to look like a rock star to your clients when you bust out the, the, you said the tide stick to get out a spot, yeah. you know, on a tie or a dress or a whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't carry it like it's in the car. We don't like physically carry it. It's just in the car. But if we need it, we know we can run back to the car and grab it if we need yeah. it. 
So it's come in handy a couple of times for sure. I mean, there's been a few times when we've needed it. So definitely a handy thing to have because a lot of times wedding parties, they just don't think about that stuff and they don't have it with them. So again, you can come in and look like the hero if you have that stuff with you. So yeah, even as simple as a comb sometimes. Yeah, yeah comb, hair, a little thing of hairspray. Yeah, um, yeah there's, there's lots of little stuff we have in that little survival kit. So very good. Excellent. Well, we kind of skipped. We're, let's skip the listener question. I think we can probably uh, save that till our next uh, our next show. We can maybe even probably build the show around our, our listener question. Um, so we'll, we'll skip that for this week. Um, we're running a little bit over. But if you want to uh, ask us a question, uh, we do want to hear from you. So be sure to head on over to thisweekinphoto.com and leave your questions or comments on the blog post. Uh, or you can submit your questions by emailing us at twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com. Uh, or send a tweet, use the hashtag TwipWed, and we'll keep an eye out for those things. So I think that brings us to the end of another episode of Twip Weddings. So I want to thank our sponsors again for their support and remind you to send in your questions and comments for the show and join our Facebook group. We'd love to see you on there and uh, ask questions and share your work with us. So Robert, what do you got coming up in the next little while and where can people go to keep up with all things Robert Evans. Uh, what am I doing? Um, going to shoot uh, coming up pretty soon. It's still a little bit away. Uh, Google Zeitgeist, which is like Google's version of TED, which should be fun. Um, we have Photo Plus coming up. Uh, so by the time this airs, Photo Plus is uh, kind of third week of October. So any of you out in that area, come to Photo Plus. I should be uh, speaking at the Sony booth. In New York, yes. New York, yep. in New York, so anybody out that way, usually at the Javits Center every year. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's it. I, I have a couple more jobs, you know, coming up later on in like October, November, but I have this month off, which is kind of nice. Um, and just doing some stuff locally. But if you want to find about me, more about my work, uh, robertevans.com. Uh, my Instagram and my Twitter are both at Robert Evans and uh, I have uh, Facebook pages, Robert Evans Studios and uh, I forget what my Robert Evans 101 is my uh, personal page. Very good. Excellent. Again, we'll have links to all of those things in the show notes. So if you want to head on over and check out some of Robert's fine work, uh, it'll all be on there. And if you're looking for uh, for myself, uh, you'll find me uh, over at my website, which is momentsindigital.com. There you'll find links to our blog and everything's on there, so you can see the latest weddings that we've been shooting. Still got a, another couple months to go here in wedding season where we live, and then things start to taper off a little bit for us once, we, once the snow starts to fly and it gets a little colder here in, in Edmonton. But we still got a couple of months of wedding season and, and engagements for next season in the fall starting to kick in here pretty pretty soon that fall is in the air kids are going back to school so it's that time of year and uh, if you want to follow me on social networks uh, most of the usual social networks you'll find me at bruce clark uh, clark with an e at the end instagram twitter all that good stuff uh, if you're looking for brian um, you'll find him hanging out over at uh, spoutingphotographer.com and uh, his websites again we'll put links to all of brian's stuff in there he's he's gone but not forgotten this week so he'll be back in our next episode and uh, again, if you want to visit our show, just visit uh, thisweekinphoto.com for our show and lots of other great shows on the Trip Network. And thanks again for listening to Trip Weddings, raising the bar one wedding at a time. Mm-hmm.